You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Walteri. Welcome back to Forrester Technopolitics. I'm here with Eve Mailer, who's a principal analyst on the security and risk team at Forrester. Hi, Eve. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Thanks. Glad uh, to be here. What, what do you cover? So specifically, I focus on identity and access management, uh, API security, and also authentication. Did you say identity management? Identity and access management, yeah. So that means user IDs and passwords, right? Often it does. In fact, almost always it does as a starting point to uh, logging into Mm -hmm. a system. What is the... So... I know that we everyone uses has a user ID and password for Amazon for their corporate passwords. They have dozens and of is, IDs and passwords, as a matter of fact. Dozens, right? So there's uh, so. But what is the future? Are we going to have user IDs? I've heard of biometrics. I've heard of all these things. I mean, wh- where are we going with this? You know, organizations, both for uh, employee-facing and consumer-facing functions, really do want to mitigate risk well. Um, and everybody wants to get rid of passwords because they're a, a pain to have to remember or Wait not a minute. remember. You said they want to mitigate risk, but then they want to get, but they want to get rid of yes, passwords. Yes, indeed. Well, there's a, there, you know, the, the, the password has been declared dead many times, and it's not dead and it's not dying from where I'm sitting. Um, but it's recognized to be a not very usable experience. And people are always looking for ways to protect sensitive resources better. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to, for example, an e-commerce site, uh, one of the questions that I often ask clients um, is, you know, have you ever changed your Amazon password? Mm-hmm. Have you ever changed your PayPal password? And every once in a while, I get a very security-conscious person who's done it. Or yeah. in the case of uh, the recent LinkedIn breach, um, they had to change their password because LinkedIn said, hey, you better change your password. Some of them have been stolen, right. which proves that, you know, yeah. this mechanism of static secrets used to authenticate is not the greatest. Mm-hmm. But the reason why Amazon and PayPal don't force all their millions upon millions of users to go and change their password is because they're not 100% relying on the password to tell them that it's really the user they think it is they behind aren't. that screen. No, they're not. They're uh, actually what are they using, doing? They're using a number of techniques. One of the key ones is that they've got a risk engine back mm-hmm. on their server side that is observing silently the behavior of that user, the device they're coming in on, Oh. Um, the kind of transaction they're performing. So, for example, if you, Mike, are using uh, Amazon to go buy something mm-hmm. and you try and do a transaction that is way out of line for the kind of thing you typically do or people like you typically do, mm-hmm. they might raise some red flags. Um, this is actually often done, again, in an employee-facing context where um, let's say that uh, you've got a nurse operating on a particular floor in a hospital and for some reason you notice that that nurse is accessing patient records on a completely different floor that that person is not working on, that would be a risk event that can generate a risk score that the, the organization you know can say is too high, and you, they might ask for something stronger. You just made me feel much, much better. <laughs> to know that this is in place? <laughs> yeah, because I always think of, I, I think of all the people who enter that. You know, I, I feel like I'm somewhat savvy being an IT analyst, right? Mm-hmm. And I think of all the people who just use the same password like across the board on all sites. Yes. And when I was an application developer, I would go into these, like a new travel startup or something, and, and I'd be doing some work and I'd be in, in SQL Server 
Uh, and guess what? Seeing in the clear passwords? In the clear yeah. passwords with their email addresses. And I was, Yeah, there's terrible hygiene. Here's the problem. Security people, IT security people, want to know that everybody is looking out for the, the care and feeding of these secrets the way they should. Mm-hmm. That includes users who you know chose the password or were assigned a password. Mm-hmm. It also includes the application developers who need to protect that secret inside an app somewhere, inside a database. And the fact of the matter is the interests of all these people don't perfectly align. So whereas IT security wants it to be as secure as possible, there's a reason why we sometimes hear, yep, we secured ourselves right out of business. You know, you need to have usability, and you're working with people who don't have the same incentives you do. One of the things that drives me nuts about the way people use strong passwords, I'm making air quotes that your audience Mm, can't see, strong (laughs) passwords, is that we ask our users, our employees, say, to run through this gauntlet of weird policies, password policies that say it has to have an uppercase and a lowercase and a numeric and a non-alphanumeric. You mean like our ADP pay statements? Yes. What a pain. Yeah, especially when the rules <laughs> change from system to system. Yeah, so what yeah. you're doing is yeah. you're trying to incent the user by rejecting passwords you don't like to come up with a password that is sufficiently strong, meaning mm-hmm. that if somebody had a chance to try and crack a password by guessing... Um, it would take them too long before the system would mm-hmm. note that there was a bad guy and it would kick them out. So, but you've also said, so in addition to strong passwords, you've also said, like you've given the example of like an Amazon and a, and a PayPal that Using has these risk, risk engines. engines. Yes, ni- risk-based ni- authentication. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Amazon and, and, and eBay, which is PayPal, mm-hmm. yeah. huge companies. I yeah. imagine they have departments that do this. Yeah, they have customer can risk engines. Can regular companies do this? Can yes, small they can. Com- How? They can because there's, there's a number there of products tools? available okay. that specialize in, it's variously called risk-based authentication. We talk about RBA mm-hmm. um, in our security and risk team, uh, or progressive authentication because you're detecting risk that's too high for comfort, so you step up to a new form of authentication that you make the user do, um, or adaptive authentication. So, for example, RSA has a product called adaptive authentication, and we uh, pretty recently published a Forrester Wave on risk-based authentication, which I think may be of interest uh, to your audience. Yeah. So what about... so? Passwords aren't all that secure. They're, they tend they need to be not augmented. To be. They need to be augmented. They're a good. They're they're a good element in what people will call multi-factor authentication. So traditionally, the factors are something you know, like a password, mm-hmm. something you have, like maybe a hard token that you're issued that generates a one-time password, and then biometrics are something you are. So people try and combine these to get a kind of constellation. The biometrics. Of explain that. Biometrics are. Biometric features, they're features that are unique to you as a human being. So, for example, reading fingerprints. Fingerprint, yeah. Or even detecting voice print is another one. Mm, Um, There's interesting ones like um, the veins in your palm have a unique pattern. Ah, okay. uh, Similar to the kind of, you know, the iris scanning that they do if you go through the airport and you like to sign up for the extra fast lane. Um, And these methods are interesting. I'm wary of biometrics. They have their niches. But think of it this way. A fingerprint uniquely identifies you in the real world. It's strongly identifying, but it's not necessarily strongly authenticating that the person who showed up with that fingerprint is you. 
Right. There have been instances of people getting fingerprint patterns off of water glasses and then spoofing systems, replaying those. Well, I've seen many movies. Yes. <laughs> where you know, Minority cr- Report always comes up in my the, inquiries. The criminals yes. do that. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, yeah. Like the iris. <laughs> the eyeball thing. Yeah. You know, just you steal know, somebody's eyeball. They just also, like Demolition a, Man why, is a favorite of mine. Why couldn't they just put like a contact lens in like James Bond does? Why do you have to do eye surgery? Well, so, well in some cases, as you get better, what's called liveness detection among the readers that yeah. do this biometric check, it detects like, okay, so liveness detection for a fingerprint is is harder because, you know, if you can f- fool the system, it can detect the whirls and everything and be fooled. Mm-hmm. But something like the that vein thing is interesting because liveness comes with the territory because you've got blood flowing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see the veins if there yeah. isn't, you know, sort of warm blood the way they work with, like, infrared and stuff. Is, is so, anyone talking about – I know that, uh, that that fingerprint readers appeared in some laptops, but they're not you know, widespread. I mean, what – The supply of good fingerprint readers and laptops far exceeds the actual demand for using that method. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to one of my colleagues, Andy Rose, in the security and risk team, and he really loves the fingerprint reader on the laptop that he got some years ago. Um, and he's in the minority – um, because people sort of don't want to fiddle with something that might give them a false reading at first. They have to do multiple times. Right, they want it to be flawless. And, and by the time yeah. that you mitigate the risk of that, that liveness detection problem and sort of the quality of authentication, you now have a more expensive thing that's in a reader form. There are starting to be apps that can do fingerprint reading in various methods, mm. but the quality of the reader may be suspect for a while. So now you have to put more effort into it. You could have mitigated the same risk through maybe a lighter weight mechanism. For example, something that's really popular in a lot of circumstances, which is texting a one-time password to somebody's previously registered mobile phone number. Mm, I see. Um, and that's getting quite attractive. You know, If you're not trying to do do some transaction on your phone, but rather on a different well, device. Well, that brings up like, uh, many corporations, their, their phone system, like Android or wherever, it's, it's locked. Mm-hmm. So every time you want to use the phone, yes. you have to enter it. Now, I add up. I, you know how many times I do that a day? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, what do you think? Uh, it's got to be at least dozens, thousands, if not hundreds, yes. Dozens, hundreds? <laughs> yeah. No, thousands. Oh, my gosh. All right, maybe not thousands. All right, maybe a couple hundred. You wouldn't have time to work. If now, <laughs> multiply, even if it takes a few seconds, multiply that by the number of employees and the people using phones. Yeah. It's probably, you know, it's a productivity thing too yeah. and a user experience. So we all accept it. Which but. is why people want single sign-on so badly. And single sign-on now has a much larger universe of problems mm-hmm. to solve. And it used to be maybe single sign-on within the context of enterprise web apps uh, or even native apps. And now it's like, how do I get single sign-on with my phone? Why can't it be location-based? <laughs> like if I'm in the Forrester headquarters, or I'm in my house, why does my phone make me have to enter that password? Because the systems aren't quite smart enough to correlate all those points of information about you yet. Are they getting there? They are getting there. I mean, NFC on phones is really interesting because proximity-based, as soon as you can rely on proximity of a device, Mm -hmm. it gets really interesting as long as you're confident that the user-to-device binding is sound. And that's why unlocking your phone is so important because your phone, in many ways, acts as your proxy in doing a lot of things. Wow. You want to be sure that somebody didn't just swipe the phone off of you once you'd unlocked it. This is incredibly complicated. Uh, Unfortunately, <laughs> it is. behind user ID and password. But the, but the more you look at these elements that can observe behavior silently, mm-hmm. the better a picture you can get without impacting the usability, which is interesting. Now, there are privacy concerns. We didn't talk about that around biometrics, but it's privacy concerns around any points of light, points of data around people's behavior. Um, there's, there's reason why you should be careful about correlating those and, and sensitive to not just regulations, but you know proper behavior. Just like storing secrets. <laughs> right. So um, when, when do you think things will change? I mean, are we looking 
three years, five years? I mean, things are changing very rapidly. The authentication already. vendor landscape is really interesting right now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of what I think of as boutique vendors who are really innovating rapidly. For example, around doing better device fingerprinting, so we know if a device has been compromised, which mm-hmm. affects that. You know, okay, you might know that it's a real user using a real device, but if the device has now been mm-hmm. compromised, you got a big problem. So that's seen a lot of innovation. We've seen a lot of innovation in apps that you can put on your phone that help you log into other things, soft token apps, clever apps that help you manage uh, a digital signature that's sort of stored in the cloud and enables you to apply it to various things. So So, it occurred to me that a lot of these um, risks engines rely on more data. Yes, they do. And so it it sounds like the mobile device... Can give that. Can They're bristling that. with sensors, as my yeah. colleague Chensi Wang often says. Yeah, you know, yeah. they've got accelerometers. They've, they're starting to get NFC. They've got you know uh, geolocation capabilities. We can utilize all of those. Mm-hmm. We're not quite cleverly enough using them yet. Mm-hmm. The potential is there, and of course, a little bit of danger is there as well. The more you know. How often do you change your Amazon password? I have never changed my Amazon password, and it's very old and not very good. And and. And here's my password. No, I, mean, I won't tell you my <laughs> password. But, I mean, Amazon's a very old company yeah. and has no password rules. I get asked sometimes by e-commerce companies, how often should I make my users change their passwords? And my answer is never. Um, mm. If you're really wow. worried and want them to have a strong password, and I advise enterprises this as well, and I'm, I'm out in the wilderness on this. It's a bit counterintuitive. Stop imposing password policies on people whose primary concern is to outwit you and come up with a clever password they'll remember that doesn't have that good strength. Instead, if you really want them to have a password that's strong, um, assign them one, send it to them through an alternate channel, and now you have a way of refreshing it at will. And so the thought I like to leave clients with when I'm talking with them on inquiries is, think of a one-time password as just an edge case of a refreshable password. Mm -hmm that you're refreshing every single time. That's why it's so powerful. Right. Eve Mailer, thank you for joining Technopolitics. My great pleasure, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption and join the discussion at blogs.forrester.com.